Military Mom Talk Radio. We know behind every soldier, sailor, airman, and marine is the family supporting them. With over 200 episodes in 17 countries, over five seasons, with three million monthly listeners, we are Radio Strong. Now, here are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. Hey everybody, this is Sandra Beck and I'm so thrilled today to be talking to Richard Capriola. Now he's written a book called The Addicted Child. It's the Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. And it also comes with a workbook. You guys can find this if you're playing along at home on the computer. You can look on Amazon. There is a Kindle version for 99 cents, and there's a paperback that's available for under $5, or sorry, under $10. And the website, if you want to follow along, is helptheaddictedchild.com, just like it's uh, spelled helptheaddictedchild.com. Now, we're talking about adolescent substance abuse today, which is a really big topic. And addiction is a family disease. It is not just a solo um, effect on the family. Anybody who has had a family member who is struggling with addiction knows that it's a family affair. And there's a big difference between adult and adolescent addiction and a child's brain. And that's why I'm so excited to talk to Richard Capriola today. Now, Richard is recently retired from the manager clinic in Houston, where he worked as an addiction counselor for adolescents and adults diagnosed with psychiatric and substance use disorders. He currently lives in Houston, where it's 80 degrees today with his wife. And Richard, I'm so happy to have you come on and talk about this very important problem. Well, thank you, Sandra. I really appreciate the opportunity to visit with you today and to talk about adolescent substance abuse, which, which many families, I think, are, are frightened of, uh, reluctant to, to talk about, uh, because it can be a scary situation for parents. Uh, but I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me about this issue and for us to share some information for your listeners. Well, absolutely. You know, I have two boys and I think the most shocking thing, Richard, for me was, you know, I grew up in the farming community outside of Buffalo, New York. And, you know, we had our share of, you know, alcoholics and potheads and, but it really wasn't prevalent till later in high school. And what I found with my kids now, and my kids are 13 and 16, is it's in the middle school. It's in the fifth and sixth grade where kids are aware of these things. They're trying these things. I mean, we're talking 10, 11, 12 year old kids, not what I was had in my mindset of, you know, kind of 16, 17, 18 year old kids. Yeah, and I think that's a perception that a lot of people have, that these drugs are, are, are mostly being used by high school students. And, and that's a very dangerous perception to hold because uh, these drugs are available to kids of any, any ages, any economic status, in, no matter where you live, uh, these drugs are, are available. And kids will tell you, if you ask them, that it's very easy for them to get substances like alcohol and marijuana. So no child is, is, is totally protected from exposure to these drugs, regardless of what age they are. 
Well, and I think it goes, you know, even even deeper than that. What I've seen with the the legalization of marijuana, especially here in California, and the availability of it in households, in glove boxes of cars, you know, my kids were telling me, oh, yeah, we know where to go get that. So-and-so's dad keeps his stash in his glove box because it's legal. And, you know, I'm having a conversation with an 11-year-old kid about where if you were going to get you know, marijuana, where would you get it? You know, I was just having kind of some conversation with my kid, never thinking he would be, oh yeah, you go to so-and-so's house, his dad keeps his stash in his glove box. Like that was not in my consciousness (laughs) as a kid growing up, much less a parent. Yeah. And and there have been surveys that asked that asked students how is how easy is it for you to get a substance and and about 80 percent of high school seniors will tell you that if they want to get marijuana it's very easy to do about over 80 percent will tell you if they want to find alcohol it's easy to do over 30 percent of them will tell you if they want to find lsd it's very easy to do so that availability is out there and kids know it and then when you combine that with the harmfulness the fact that these kids don't believe that these drugs are very harmful. So now you have a perception of low risk and high availability, which creates a a real opportunity for these kids to get caught up with these drugs. Absolutely. You know, and, and Richard, we talk about, you know, we're talking about addiction today, but addiction goes hand in hand, I think, a lot with anxiety and, you know, the pressure that kids are under, the anxiety that they're having. And, you know, if you just turn on the television, all you have to see is, you know, take some drug, you know, legal or otherwise, to solve, you know, your problems, to, to make things go away, make things better. And those things, to me, are really giving a message to kids that it's it's okay it's not a big deal that's true uh the the perception that many of these states are now making marijuana legal um gives the the perception that it must be okay um you know but 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 what's missing in that equation is the fact that what's okay for adults is not necessarily okay for adolescents because unlike adults the adolescent brain is still developing so when you start to introduce drugs into a developing brain you run the risk of that child not only becoming technically addicted to a substance but you run the risk of doing some real damage to that developing brain Um, when when i ask Uh, teenagers to tell me why they're smoking so much marijuana, the number one answer that comes back is it helps me with my anxiety. But when I see the tests come back, you know, these kids have um, a, a, re, a reduction uh, in, in the processing speed of their brain, their short term memory is impaired, their motivation is impaired. So we risk doing some real damage to an adolescent brain when they start introducing substances into that brain. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, Richard, I just want to stop you for a second here. And I want to thank our sponsor today. Our sponsor for today's show is Apostrophe. Now, Apostrophe is a prescription skincare company for people that are ready to take their acne seriously. And as we talk about adolescence, which is the focus of today's show, we know that that acne is a big deal with adolescents and prescription acne treatment really works, but it's hard to get. And, you know, parents have to take time off 
off work to see a doctor, they might have to sit in line at the pharmacy for their medications, but apostrophe makes it easy for your kid or you to see a board certified dermatologist online and you can get treated immediately and your medications are delivered to your home. And I did this, um, Richard, because I have rosacea and I was not willing to go to the doctor's office, sit in the, um, you know, public places and to be able to do this online was really helpful for me. And I wish this was around when I was a kid, when I struggled with my own skin issues. Now it's really important. You guys, you can, you can get treated for rosacea. You can get treated for all sorts of things to reduce dark spots, improve your skin texture and treat adult acne. And so when the product came in the mail, it was really great. It was really convenient. Now you do have to take some pictures uh, and upload, you know, you, you push a button, you get into this online questionnaire, it talks about your skin concerns and your medical history. Then you have to snap a few selfies for your dermatologist to get back to you, but it's super convenient. And if you want to get $15 off your first visit with a board certified dermatology at apostrophe.com slash military mom and use our code military mom. This code is only available for our listeners. So to get started, I did this. I want you to do it too. Just go to apostrophe.com slash military mom and click begin visit. Then use the code military mom at sign up and you'll get $15 off your dermatology visit. That's apostrophe A P O S T R O P H E dot com slash military mom. And don't forget to use that code military mom to get your dermatology visit for $15 off. And we thank Apostrophe so much for sponsoring this podcast, because as we talk about um, anxiety and addiction, you know, we, we hear that going hand in hand, but Richard, you just kind of debunked something. You're like, wait a minute, if your kid is using something and claiming it helps his anxiety, if you have a slower processing system, if you have memory issues, wouldn't that cause more stress in the kid because he's struggling to keep up like or is it a vicious circle it can be a vicious circle uh because uh while these kids will tell you that smoking marijuana helps with their anxiety it actually has a boomerang effect and will make their anxiety worse over time now they don't recognize that they don't have the ability to process that information and to logically think through it the only thing they're focusing on is i found something that relieves my anxiety and it works so like all of us you know if we find something that works to help us relieve an emotion or a feeling that we don't like having, we're, we're likely to continue to use it. Kids are no different. Right. And when you think about the, um, you know, kind of the avoidance part of it, if you, if you self-medicate with something like marijuana to reduce your own anxiety or your kids saying, oh, it reduces my anxiety, then when they have normal anxiety, which is your homework isn't done, you haven't shown up for school, you haven't finished your project, What's to prevent that kid from handling what we consider normal anxiety? If you're not doing what you're supposed to do in school, you're going to have anxiety and Mm -hmm. then turning around and mitigating that anxiety. And we don't, we don't have to do our homework. We don't have to take this test. We don't have to do these things because we've now medicated that anxiety away. So we're not worried about it. I mean, I would think it would kind of snowball effect into a young person's life. 
And it can, it can boomerang and, and, and become a vicious cycle. And then the child uh, begins to see some serious side effects of, of that type of behavior in that attitude. So that, that, that can happen. Now, how do you know as a parent when it's a problem? Like I'm a black and white parent, you know, and I, I'm like no drugs, no drinking, no sex. Like, you know, that's, that's kind of my mindset, but I know that's not the mindset of my kids or other people. How do you, how do you know when enough is enough or too much, or is it just weekends? Like, how, how do you know when it's a problem? Well, when it becomes a problem, you'll notice it. Um, but at that point, uh, it probably has, has been going on for quite some time. I, I sat across from a number of parents when I was working at Menninger Clinic in Houston, Texas, and I went through the history of their child's substance use. And they would look at me and they would say, I had no idea this was going on. Or if they did suspect their child was using a substance, they would say, well, I thought something was going on, but I didn't know it was this bad. So parents are often caught by surprise when they find out that their child has been using a substance and it may have been, may have been going on for quite some time. And that is why in my book, I have a number of warning signs that parents need to know about. There's warning signs for alcohol use. There's warning signs for marijuana. There's warning signs for a child who might be e developing an eating disorder or who might be self-harming because sometimes these accompany a child's use of, of alcohol alcohol and drugs. But as a general rule, what I recommend to parents is to pay attention to the changes that you see in your child. Don't just assume that these are normal adolescent behavior changes. They may very well be, but they also might be uh, an indication that there is something going on underneath the surface. So pay attention to those changes, those behavioral changes, those appearance changes that you see in your child. Well, and this is something that, you know, really hit close to home. We had a close family friend who was trying to get my younger son to play video games with him and his older friend and, you know, drink and smoke pot. And they're like, it's just fun. It's just playing video games. Well, I hit the roof. I called the other parents and said, first of all, my kid is, you know, 13, your kid is 15. You know, to me, that was a big deal. But the bigger deal was, the other parents were like, well, that's just kids being kids and you're overreacting and, you know, you're overprotective. And, you know, when you live in a permissive society, which we have today, I mean, everybody's all about their rights and freedoms, Richard, what do you do in a situation like I cut off all contact with that family, I cut off contact with those kids, like, you know, my kids, you're done and done, we'll, we'll make new friends, you know, these, this is not where, where you need to be. And thankfully, my kids honored that request. But what do you do when you don't have that parental support or the parents think it's kids being kids? Well, this attitude of kids being kids is potentially a very, very dangerous attitude to have. And, 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 and ultimately, in some situations, could lead to, to kids getting really seriously involved with a behavior that is harmful, whether it's alcohol or drugs or sex or, or you name it. But this attitude of, well, they're just being kids and kids will be kids, that's a very dangerous 
dangerous attitude for a parent to take. Uh, a more appropriate attitude is to do exactly what you did. You know, when you find out that they're associating with these children, to, to cut off contact with that because you don't want to continue to allow that influence to, to, to build up. But the attitude of kids being kids, uh, that, that's potentially a very dangerous attitude for a parent to take. Do you think it's also an attitude that basically says, you know what, I don't want to take responsibility for my kid having any sort of problem. We'll just slough it off and hope it goes away. I mean, do you see that a lot with, with parents, with kids that are, you know, quote unquote, experimenting? That was the, the thing, the excuse one parent gave me. They're like, well, they're just, you know, at that experiment, experimentation yeah. stage. I, and I and I think a lot of that comes from parents just not being educated, not being aware of, of, of what's going on with adolescent substance abuse. And that's one of the reasons that prompted me to write my book was to give parents the information and the resources so that they are better informed about adolescent substance abuse. They're better informed about the drugs that are out there that kids have access to. They understand a little bit about brain development and the importance of protecting their child's brain. They understand if you suspect there's a problem, what assessments and tests do you need to get done? And then if you find yourself in a situation where you need help, what resources and what treatment options are available? So I packed all of that in my book because I really think a lot of parents' perceptions are coming from either fear or avoiding the, the issue they just don't want to think about it or in or or not having the information so that they can be better prepared better prepared to deal with it well and let's just talk about age with respect to you know what 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 the high school and the middle school age kids called recreational drug use you know recreational drinking <clears throat> recreational you know pot smoking i don't know much about anything else because i haven't heard of anything else with my kids but what does it do to a kid's brain you know is there a difference between you know i think we could all agree if it was a 12 year old getting high and drinking we'd go oh there's a big problem but then when you've got a 17 year old you know there's five years developmentally on that kid the kid's almost 18 it doesn't seem to be as big a deal. Um, is it a big deal? It is a big deal because what, what I think uh, parents often uh, don't know about is that our brains are continuing to develop and mature until we get to around age 24 or 25. So even if you have a 17 or an 18-year-old person, their brain still is not fully matured. And the last part of the brain to become fully mature is the prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for higher order thinking abstract reasoning, the ability to weigh pros and cons and make decisions. So even if the child is in their late teens, they still have a number of years to go before, before that brain becomes completely mature and, and fully developed. Well, and my question too is, you know, when I look at certain habits that I had in, you know, junior high and high school, and I look at the habits I have now, they're kind of the same, Richard, you know, like my way of dealing with stress tends to be journaling. I go work out at the gym. I swim. I, I walk or run. You know, those are my go-to things and they're still my go-to things today. 
Is it the same with a substance? Like if you choose, you know, pot or marijuana or, or alcohol or some sort of prescription medication that you can get your hands on to handle your feelings, your anxiety, whatever's going on in life, does that set the stage for that behavior to be your go-to? Like, are you going to fight that the rest of your life? Cause you either learned it or it got ingrained in you so young. Well, once you're conditioned to find something that helps relieve an intolerable feeling or thought or memory, you're likely to hold on to it for as long as you can. Unfortunately, uh, it often carries with it a lot of negative consequences as well. And ultimately, um, the person will, will either continue to go down that road and the negative consequences will become more and more and more severe, or there will be some type of intervention that leads that person to go into treatment and, 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 and not only address the underlying issues that have been driving the substance use, but also learn healthier skills to deal with these intolerable thoughts and feelings or memories that they may be having so that they learn a set of new skills to deal with those things. Gotcha. Gotcha. So let's talk about the family situation and I'll use the situation that I experienced um, because one of the close family members sons was, you know, heavily using um, drugs and alcohol to cope, it put the sister in a tough position because she knew what her brother was doing. She talked to my kids. She talked to me about what her brother was doing, but she was afraid to talk to the parents. And when it all came out, the, the daughter had told me all these struggles that she had. She was terrified her parents would find out she knew and she didn't tell them, but yet she was honoring her brother. She didn't want her brother to be angry with her because she's a snitch and she told mom and dad. So here's this child, you know, another child in the family. We talk about addiction being a family issue. Now you've got this, this brother or sister who holds this time bomb information do they protect their brother and and or do they tell the parents and risk the brother you know all of this thing makes a huge mess it is a huge mess. And, and, and I think you pointed out earlier that the one person might be uh, abusing or addicted to the drug, but it affects the entire family system as well. It affects the parents, it affects the siblings. And, and, and that is a very, very dangerous situation for that young lady to be in because she is sort of caught between, you know, being loyal to her brother, but also recognizing that his behavior could be dangerous and should, and should she tell her parents and and if something were to happen to her brother uh, she would she would have a, a real crisis because then she would start to feel guilty well what if i what if i'd only told my parents about it so this this addiction this behavior that that one child is engaged in puts a lot of pressure and a lot of uh, a, a lot of stress on the entire family situation right absolutely and it does leak out to the people around you, you know, like I had Richard, like that time bomb was given to me, you know, I heard this young man offering, you know, get trying to get my younger kid to come over and drink and smoke pot and play video games, because it's so much fun. And, you know, we've got a couple guys doing it, you know, you know, the typical peer pressure you'd see on an after school special. And then my kid comes to me and says, Mom, this happened to me. And I said, Yes, I heard the whole thing, because it was on a PlayStation, you know, everybody can 
hear everything. And now you go, okay, now what do I do as the parent? You know, do you go, do you confront the child? Do you talk to the other parents? Like, when is it none of your business? And, you know, I, of course, opened my big mouth and then they told me it's none of my business. So be it. You know, what are you going to do? But it it has much more ripple effect than just the immediate family. It does. It, it ripples through not only the immediate family, but the, the entire family environment and everything and everybody that comes into contact with that environment. But as a parent, my first responsibility is to protect my child, is to educate my child, it's to protect my child, it's to do everything I can to, to insulate my child. Now, no child is totally protected from exposure to alcohol and drugs. There are protective environments but no child is completely protected. Yeah. So one of the reasons I wrote my book was hopefully to educate parents so that they would feel not so much frightened by this issue of substance abuse, but feel empowered that now they've got the information and the resources and they know what to do. They're not so left alone. Right. Or blindsided. Or blindsided. That happens many times because uh, I think parents tend to get blindsided because no one ever told them what are the warning signs you should be looking for, you know, and then they start to feel guilty. Well, how did I miss the warning signs? Well, you missed them because nobody ever told you what to look for. And that's why in my book, there is so much emphasis on these are the warning signs. These are what you need to pay attention to. Right, right. And I think, you know, as parents, we don't want to believe these things about our kids. We don't want to believe them about their friends. I think that was one of the things that I struggled with, Richard. And after I read your book, I was like, oh, yeah, when this kid was at my house at Christmas, he kept disappearing outside, you know, going out to his his car. And, you know, we're all mm-hmm. having this family Christmas thing. And then he was coming in and he was like, taking his fork and like stirring his mashed potatoes. And, you know, I thought he wasn't feeling well. I thought he was sick, you know, and now when I look back after reading your book, I'm like, you know what? His eyes were bloodshot. You know, he did have a lot of cologne on, you know, (laughs) these things. But again, if you're not somebody who was exposed to this or raised in an environment with it, I was blindsided. You know, I really didn't, um, I didn't know what to look for. And it was in my house right under my nose. Right. And and that's very typical of parents because, again, they, they, they have not been given the opportunity or the resources to know what to look for. You know, that's why parents would look at me and they would say, well, I had no idea this was going on. It was going on right there in front of them. But yet they did not have the, 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 the information. Uh, nobody had ever told them, well, these are some warning signs to pay attention to. So they're blindsided by it. And then all of a sudden it becomes a crisis. Right. Right. Well, it's like, it's like natural gas. Like you can't smell it. You can't see it. You can't taste it. So the gas company has to put something in the natural gas, you know, so that if you leave your stove on, you can smell it. That's kind of like what I look at your book going after I read it. I was like, I wish I had known this like three years ago, because I think I would have figured it out. I wouldn't have to get my kid to come tell me to overhear on the PlayStation and then have my older kid go, mom, like, how could you miss it? You know, he's like, (laughs) how could you miss it? And, you know, um, but the other thing that I thought was really distressing when I heard the conversation with this older kid and my son, my son said, he's like, well, don't your 
don't your parents get mad? Like, you know, don't, don't they? And he said, what do they care? And what do they know? I'm a straight A student. As long as I get straight A's, they don't care what I do. And I think when I heard that and I thought about it, I'm like, you're right. This kid is a good athlete. He's a good student. So why would anybody think, you know, I think this is where I credit those after school specials. Like, you know, they were so dramatic. I think you expect if your kid is using or your kid's friend is using that it should be this big dramatic thing. But he was very cocky. He was very confident going, they're never going to know they're never going to expect anything as long as I you know do my track running and I get my good grades nobody's the wiser and 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 that may very well be true but underneath the surface that's not to mean that there's not some type of damage that's slowly building up that could be like a time bomb that that goes off and explodes when this kid goes off to college or some other point in his life it's like a ticking time bomb you may not you may not be showing any negative effects right now but it may be building up it's like what happens with nicotine sometimes you might smoke for years and years and years and be doing just great and then find out that you know you've got a lung disease or some other problem so um, you know again parents need to 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 be aware of what's going on their child may be doing very well in sports may be doing very well in grades don't assume that everything else is as perfect as that that's that was my point like you know when I heard this kid bragging about how nobody's going to notice nobody's going to figure it out because he's smart and he's a good athlete um I would have believed that too. You know what I mean? Like I would look and go, wow, smart kid, good athlete. The likelihood of him doing this regularly. And I mean, he clearly it was like every weekend. Um, again, that was an eye opener to me because I carried that false belief that just because someone could excel in an area doesn't mean that there's not things to look for. That's why I really liked your checklist. Yeah, I think I think it's important for for parents to be just knowledgeable and aware, um, and, and 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 it's so easy to miss these signs. And and you may have a child that's doing very well, and you naturally think, well, everything else in that life is going well too. That may be the case. The, the, the child may not be doing anything, you know, with drugs, but may also be doing it. So uh, for for a parent, you need to be on alert. You you need to know what the warning signs are. You need to pay attention to any changes that you see in your child and and hopefully have discussions with your child about protecting their brain. Mm -hmm. Now, let's talk about vaping versus, um, you know, like when I was growing up, we only had pretty much pot and beer. Like that was the big (laughs) thing in my high school. But now we have all these, you know, bubblegum scented this and, um, you know, they're, they're marketed towards kids. Let's be honest. Like no, no 30 year old is going to want a bubblegum scented anything. Well, it's interesting that you bring up this issue of vaping because what we are seeing in the last three years is a tremendous surge in vaping among adolescents. Uh, For example, uh, three years ago, the number of seniors that were vaping nicotine was roughly 18%. Today, it's 34%. The number of of seniors that were vaping marijuana three years ago was about 9%. Today, it's 22%. So there has been a tremendous surge in, 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 in vaping among adolescents. And the research that's starting to come out is showing that for both adults 
and adolescents who vape, they're starting to report difficulty in concentrating and remembering, uh, particularly in children between the ages of 18 and 13 who are vaping. They're reporting even more difficulty concentrating and remembering than the kids who are vaping at age 14 or over. But the surge in vaping is very concerning. Absolutely. Well, and I see it among the parents. You know, I see my parent friends are vaping. You know, they, it's, it's discreet. They have this thing. It looks like a pen, yeah. you know, and I, I didn't know, again, me being the big dope, I'm like sitting in the car and they're all going, I'm like, why are you smoking a pen? Like that looks so stupid, but <laughs> you know, I didn't know any better. And they're like, oh yeah, it's, 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 it's like marijuana and it's, it's no big deal. And it's this. And if a parent vapes, a parent drinks or a parent uses some sort of substance to relax, how likely are the kids to follow in that footsteps? Uh, they're, they're more likely than not because you're sending that, that, that message to, to the child that it's okay to do this. Um, but what's missing in that formula is that what may be okay for an adult is not okay for, for an adolescent. And it's not just the legality of the issue. There are many, many issues that are legal for adults like drinking alcohol that are illegal for, for adolescents. But the big difference is, again, back to brain development. You know, if, if your child's brain needs to be protected, it is developing and there are critical areas of the brain that are continuing to grow and mature and develop. So if you give the impression that it's okay to vape nicotine or it's okay to, to drink alcohol, you are really sending a message to that child that, okay, even though you may be risking harm to your brain, it's okay to do it because I do it. That's a very dangerous uh, communication. Um, and, and, and you're absolutely right. Many of these vaping de devices are, are, are not noticed by parents. They're not noticed by teachers. Some of them look like pins. Some of them look like USB drives for a computer. So they, they are very easily disguisable. Right. I mean, I look at that going, you know, how are you not, how are you not held accountable to marketing drugs to children? You know, you make it a USB drive, you make it a pen, you know, you're not, you're not doing this because, you know, Joe that works for IBM, you know, it's, it's gonna, I mean, it's just, it, it's, it's, it's shocking, really. Um, do you find that like are cigarettes out, like, you know, among young people, like have they gotten the message that cigarettes equal cancer and so vaping is better or drinking is better? Because I hear some of these things with my teens going, they're like, ew, like why would someone smoke a cigarette? But yet it's permissive to smoke weed or, or drink, like those are more acceptable or to vape. Yes, cigarette smoking is now at or very or very close to its lowest levels in history, um, less than 1% of kids. So kids are not smoking cigarettes. But what they're doing is they're switching to getting their nicotine through vaping. Uh, and, and kids will tell you, well, you know, 
vaping is 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 safer than smoking cigarettes right and and in a way they're right because with smoking cigarettes you get tobacco and a whole bunch of other drugs as well but the problem with that line of thinking is that when you're vaping nicotine you tend to get higher concentrations of nicotine so you're much more likely to become dependent or addicted to nicotine but kids are switching away in large numbers away from smoking cigarettes and what they've done is they've switched over to vaping nicotine Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so one of the things, you know, and I, and I, we're, wow, we're already at the end of today's show, but I want to share with people, there's a workbook that goes along with the book of the addicted child. And the thing that struck me, I mean, there was a lot of things in the workbook, Richard, that, um, that threw me, but I was reading the substances my child may be using and I'm like, Adderall, okay, get it. Alcohol, sure. Ambien, maybe. Bath salts? <laughs> like, yeah. what? Those, those are not the kind of bath salts that you take a bath in. Okay. The, these are, these are, um, um, these are synthetic made substances that are, have been marketed um, and, and, and they, they, they refer to them as bath salts, which sort of gives the impression that you put them in water and take a bath in them. But no, that's not what they are. These are drugs. These are illegal drugs, often sold in convenience stores. They're not marketed as being a drug. That's why it's very hard for the FDA to, to keep on top of them. Um, and, 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 and it's not that very many kids are using them. I think that phase has come and gone, but I just wanted parents to be aware that that, that's a, that, that is out there. I really don't think it's being used by very many adolescents. Gotcha, gotcha. Because I, yeah, I was, I was reading through this list going, okay, I've heard of some of these. I don't know what Salvia is or Sonata. Um, you know, the other ones on the list I, I, I recognize, but I, I, I immediately thought I'm getting rid of all of my bath bombs in my bathroom. <laughs> thought, well, the, the nice thing about that is those are all covered in the in the main book, too. So if you want to know what, you know, salvia is or you want to know what Ambien is, that's all covered in the main text. Yes, absolutely. So you guys, I want you, if you are a parent and you want to spend 99 cents, you can get the digital version on your Kindle. You can also spend 10 bucks and get this book. What I like about it a lot is that it's short, it's quick and to the point. It doesn't give us a lot of stuff we don't need. It's just kind of, it's a hundred pages of what every parent needs to know, especially if you're raising an asset lesson. So I want you guys to check out this website. It's called helptheaddictedchild.com. Don't get caught unaware like I did. If you grew up in an environment where you don't know anything about this stuff and you're raising teens today in today's society, this is some information that you need to have. I want to thank Richard Capriola for not only writing The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse, but also for making the workbook and making this information so easily available to parents like me who self-admittedly don't have a clue. Uh, <laughs> we'll be back again next week with another great episode.
thanks for spending time with us today on Military Mom Talk Radio. We've got more than 200 episodes available to you anytime on iTunes or at our website, MilitaryMomTalkRadio.com. Find us on Facebook or Twitter. We look forward to another great conversation with you on Military Mom Talk Radio.